Through the Keyhole is fueled by Vanessa House Beer Company, located in Automobile Alley at 118 Northwest 8th Street in Oklahoma City. Stop by the tap room and try the legendary 401k lager or the refreshing destination wedding cerveza with salt and lime. Vanessa House is always brewing something fun like the Pog Hard Seltzer or their sweet and tasty sours. Great beers for a hot Oklahoma summer as we march towards football season. Stop by the Vanessa House Tap Room at 118 Northwest 8th Street in Oklahoma City for good drinks and family-friendly good times. Kids and pets are welcome. Yes, I mentioned kids and pets in the same sentence. Vanessa House Beer Company, the best beer in Oklahoma City. Please drink responsibly. Welcome to Through the Keyhole, an OU football podcast. I am on your co-host, Peyton Guthrie, joined as most of the time by Brady and Matt. We did have an under-the-weather uh, Alan Kinney, a.k.a. Blayton Homers, and will not be joining us. Uh, he did say Dennis Simmons would be able to join in spot of him, but we weren't able to get uh, contact with him, so we're trying to get that figured out. Uh, we did see, strangely, some private planes leave uh, Alan's area to some uh, other podcast locations. So we're going to keep track of that situation to see exactly what's going on there. But hopefully he'll be back next week and not uh, covering LSU or uh, um, <laughs> uh, Chicago Bears or something uh, moving forward. Uh, Alan's, Alan's going to Sooner Scoop. <laughs> yeah, breaking here. Uh, but as you heard, the beautiful voice of Brady and Matt. Brady, how are you doing, Matt? I'm doing okay. Matt, how are you doing? Don't eat oh, while we're podcasting. You asshole. You <laughs> asshole. You knew that. <laughs> yeah, that I was say? on purpose. That was on what did purpose. I, what did I say about eating and drinking? Don't do it. It's bad. Don't do it. It's You're weakness. a star. You're a star in the making, baby. You can't be eating and drinking. I know. I need to slim down for my wedding. So, yeah, you're right. And no more so eating, got, no more drinking. You got to get in that dress. Yeah, cigarettes and jogging. That's it. And, and as you guys heard... That, that's the crew for this week. Before we really, really jump into it, because we're slightly off the rails, I want to say thank you so much, Vanessa House, for being the title sponsor of Through the Keyhole. Also, thank you for Scratch Kitchen and Cocktails and Norman, and then also the Spirit Shop in Norman. Remember, they deliver anything you need, which it, you know, as long as it's alcohol, spirit, and uh, spirits related. Uh, but then we'll uh, get you hooked up, and we'll have a lot of fun. Let's just jump straight into this show. Uh, Oklahoma struggle bust against uh, the the Knights of Central Florida in a way that. I wasn't the biggest fan of, uh, but if you were to look at from a, a Stat of Wars uh, EPA success rankings, it shows Oklahoma, quote unquote, beat U- UCF uh, much more soundly than it seemed like the um, the ending score, which does seem to indicate and does seem to reflect the fact that UCF had like five really big plays, but the rest of the time, OU kind of handled, uh, handled business uh, and figured it was going to be a frustrating game with third downs and things of that nature. And it kind of played out the way that... Uh, I thought it'd be from a frustrating game. I just thought Oklahoma would uh, cover and have much more success offensively. Uh, Brady, I know you guys are on the no cap, obviously no cap recap, which can be found at patreon.com slash through the keyhole. I mean, what are your just like a really consolidated thoughts on the, that UCF game? You know, like it was weird. Typically games like that in the past have frustrated me to no end. Um, and there've been games that have been kind of similar to UCF where, you know, like kind of the stat you threw out there that kind of suggests that, Oh, you truly, not dominated the game, but was 
clearly the better team play to play if you take it out from a bird's eye view, but just because of a handful of mistakes or bad decisions, um, the game was much closer than it was. So, I mean, in the past, they frustrated me. In the moment, I was fine. You know, like I, I, There was a point in the fourth quarter where I thought OU was going to lose, so I wasn't fine. But at the, as soon as OU retook the lead and added to the lead and um, stopped that two-point conversion, got the onside kick, I wasn't like, oh, I'm going to be so pissed off on the no-cap recap. I'm going to just bring all the fire. I was like, yeah, good teams have bad days, and I think this team proved that it was a good team. And the further that I've gotten away from UCF, uh, the more that I kind of appreciate the the ability for this team to show in this season that they can they can rise to the occasion like they did with Texas. They can dominate bad opponents like they've done a handful of times this season. They can start slow in a road environment like uh, they did in Cincinnati and kind of refine themselves while the defense kind of steadies the ship and then keep their opponent at arm's length like they did in the second half against Cincinnati. And then they show that they can win a, a game where, like we've mentioned, just a handful of plays masked an otherwise solid performance on defense and uh, you know a bad performance outside of two very important drives at the ends of each half for the offense. So the further I've gotten away from it, I just kind of chalk it up there to good teams win in a multitude of ways, and this was just another way that this team has uh, won a game. Yeah, it also kind of reminds me of like this team's foundation, you know, its culture, whatever you want to say to it, its willpower, uh, even has the ability to overcome, you know, what we watch was OU like desperately trying to lose a football game. Like that's what it seemed like. It's like any other time they're like trying to hand the game away. But, you know, the foundation that, uh, you know, Brent has installed in the, into the team is just too strong that they can't, they themselves can't self-sabotage uh, themselves against a team like UCF. Now, if it's a team, you know, if they play that game against Texas, if they play again in the, you know, Big 12 Championship, that's a different, you know, aspect at that point in time. But then there's arguments of, would OU even play a game uh, that listless against a team with so much on the line or something like that? But Matt, what were your thoughts on, uh, on, on the Knights versus the Sooners? Yeah, man, I, a little bit sleepy, right? I uh, I know a hangover when I see one, and it looked like uh, they had been on a, a little bit of a bender, you know, a little bit of a high from the Texas game, and then high of uh, the bye week, not having to play, getting to rest, relax, and uh, that's kind of what it felt like uh, a little bit, uh, at least to start. Uh, I feel like the way they finished the game, though, I mean, that was uh, that was fun to watch, especially the with being able to run the ball finally at the end. Um, to me, I, I just, I, I'm, I'm still taking it from what it was last year under year one under Brent. So I'm not like, like, again, I'm not freaking out of like, Oh man, like, or just like, Hey, oh, here we go again. You know, stuff like that. I, I'm really not like that was, that was a, again, it's been said a million times. Um, so I'll say it a million and one, that is a game that they lose last year and probably years prior as well. And you know, taking it from what it was last year to this year, it's just, it's night and day different than what it was. And so I think for me, that's what I'm looking forward to. And that's what I'm loving watching about this team this year is just how much different it is uh, than it was last year. And especially on the defensive side of the football. I mean, you know, Brady kind of mentioned it, like those few big plays kind of you know, stick out to you, but man, the entirety of that defensive effort, I mean, outside of a, a I'll just say like a 95% of the 
the snaps that the defense played, they were pretty much dominant, man. And that is, again, something that Brent Venables promised this year was that the defense would be on another planet. And with the way that they're playing specific, uh, specifically on the defensive line, I think he's delivered on that that promise. They feel like another planet. You know, yeah, I mean, that, go for it, Brady. I was going to say, that, like, the defense was solid, but there. I will say if there's going to be one thing that I'm going to be a little peeved at until we see OU play again, and hopefully they're able to kind of just wash this all away, um, you know, we can sit here and say, like, yeah, the defense, they just had a handful of bad plays, and that's it. And, and a lot of that's kind of true. That last drive was very disappointing because that last drive was pure 2022 OU defense. That last drive was pure um, the last decade OU defense where, for whatever reason, third and long, fourth and long, it just didn't matter. The I mean, UCF would just score or convert with relative ease on a big chunk play. And I, I can live with, I mean, I don't want to see an 80-yard touchdown, but I can live with a busted play here and there. I can live with that running back, running 50 yards down to the goal line because this team has shown the ability all season long that one busted play doesn't have to snowball. It might, it led to two touchdowns against Iowa State, but that overall did not snowball into anything else. They They cleaned it up. Um, they gave a, a big play to the goal line against Texas, and of course they got the goal line stand, and they damn near did it again against UCF. So I can live with the the handful of plays that were just like somebody was out of position, there was a miscommunication, somebody fell down, an arm tackle here. Because with a Brent Minables defense, that's going to happen. When you play yeah. that aggressive and everybody has a job to do, you're not going to do everything correctly every single play. And when you're playing a team in conference that has capable skill talent, they're going to be able to make plays here and there. So I can live with it. That final drive though, was just very aggravating because e even in the second half, UCF scored what three times, two of them were field goals. Um, mm -hmm. One of them, one of them, thanks to a um, interception returned to the 30 yard line. And so the defense was put in a bad spot and, um, you know, up until that last drive, it, it was just, it was great, you know, for the most part, I mean, not great, but it was, it was good. It was passable. It was good. It kept OU in the game overall, but then that final drive and the hope is that that was just a complete nutter. We're taking the focus off because we think we just, we, we thought we've already won the game. Yeah. The issue I had, I think watching the game was that almost nothing to the defense. It was just that the offense could not get out of the first gear for so long. And I think, you know, Brady and I uh, in the Senate, which, uh, you know, if you know, you know, uh, it'd be kind of like, uh, it may be in late in the second quarter, early in the third quarter, like, oh, he has to punt again. I think we both sent the exact same message. It's like, there it went, the damn shots break. Defense can't hold up, you know, the entire game. And honestly, they kind of did until that last drive, like you mentioned, they kind of held up the entire game. So that's something to me is like beyond positive. It's just, oh, you just does not seem to have the ability to get out of its own way. Um, you know, the thing that changed, too, for it was that they actually brought in, you know, Gavin Sawchuck and said, okay, you're just going to be the running back, <laughs> uh, for you know, at least for this complete drive. And guess what? Giving the ball to the super talented kid worked out, you know, and they were able to lean and make some pressure, stuff like that. I mean, if, if both your running backs can't make reads, um, at least put the fast one in. You know, if, if you're going to suspend, walk, suspend Walker for whatever a thing happened on his side of it, you know, you can't be, you can't cut your nose off, you know, despite the face. You still, you still need to win these football games. And the idea of like putting Farouk back there and putting Gavin, you know, Freeman back there, it's like, no, just put the actual running back back there, you know, and let him 
cook, <laughs> uh, you know, you know, trying not to be uh, too young, uh, even though I know we need to cultivate a younger audience potentially. Uh, but it's nice to, swag. to see that swag. happen. Yeah, swag. That's swag. Cat. That's you, cat. You, you've swag. Peyton, you've got the Riz. Sure. That's lit. That's sure. lit, man. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. TikTok. I'm TikTok <laughs> dancing over here. Sorry. I apologize. Um, but that was something I do want to see moving forward is when will OU's O-line issues get figured out? My assumption is they get figured out next year <laughs> or at the bowl game when they've got time to, you know, like, you know, a couple of weeks to really dig into it for whatever, was it like a month almost sometimes depending on the bowl game. So maybe, you know, in the bowl game, the offensive line will be fixed, but there's no fixing the, the offensive line when it comes to rushing right now. Did you think that there were issues with the offensive line before Matower got hurt? I'll, I'll have to really go back and look at it. Um, the film review I want to do, which uh, if for people listening on the public feed, I do a film review every week. The film review I'm doing is how OU is defending the sprint draw. Uh, so I'm not, I won't even be looking at it, uh, but maybe just for production wise, it seems like there were some issues, but I'm, I'm just not entirely for sure at that point in time. I don't think I don't think the offensive line was has been great at any point this season, but I think they've I think they've done their job. They've not been a bad offensive line. They've been not they've not even been an average offensive line. They've been I mean, there was inconsistent. There, yeah, th- th- there's been some inconsistencies, except for in pass blocking. They've been excellent. I mean, outside of you know the three sacks they gave up against UCF, and I I haven't really watched any of those plays, so I don't know if that was the case of Dylan Gabriel held the ball too long or ran into. Uh, pressure when it didn't need to happen or if it was just simple breakdown and pass coverage other, or pass protection other than that like they've been great i mean you're starting a tackle a freshman true freshman tackle at left guard you're starting a transfer from the from miami of ohio at right guard and i believe schaefer was the one who completely whiffed on that third and two um that marcus major got stuffed at where they had to punt late in the third quarter and that's kind of when i thought like oh this game's over this is they're gonna score again and it's gonna be bad I think they've been fine. I think most of any, like any problem that people have had with OU's offense, especially with the running game, it's just been the running backs. If Tawi Walker can find holes and get into the open field, but unfortunately just doesn't have the speed to really exploit them, then that just tells me that they're there. They're not just suddenly there for Tawi and not there for Marcus. They're there for Marcus. He just slips. He just slips or runs into the back of somebody that he doesn't need to and then goes down. That's... That's been the story all year. Enjoy great food and drinks at the original Norman Hotspot and its first cocktail bar. Scratch Kitchen and Cocktails is our choice for quality meals and drinks to enjoy the next time you're looking for a great night out. With locations in historic downtown Norman on Main Street and the Paseo Arts District in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma fans from all over the metro can enjoy Scratch Kitchen and Cocktails. Also, be sure to pick up or ask about Scratch's ready-made old-fashioned cocktail at your local wine and spirit store. Take the best Scratch concoction home to sit on your lounge chair and continue listening to this episode scratch kitchen and cocktails great food drinks and atmosphere now that said i will say the offensive line struggles at zone blocking and yes ou zone blocks like 60 65 percent of the time so that, that's the issue there's like consistencies when they go to power or gap they're a much better blocking team the issue is that power blocking or gap blocking in that way sometimes doesn't fully translate over to pass blocking which zone blocking does. So it's, it's harder to, it's easier to disguise your play uh, from that perspective. It's like when, uh, you know, when Lincoln Riley used to coach at OU, uh, you know, he'd had Curry Humphrey snap the ball and then pull to the edge. 
to pick up a blocker for a pass play. So I think he would, even though like, he would still do pulling motions and stuff, because OU did GT counter like every other play. So like, that was their bread and butter play was GT counter. So they had to pull. And then, you know, OU was even pulling on pass plays just to keep replicating that so you couldn't pick up a tendency. Uh, it, get, it gets a little bit easier to pick up tendencies against Levy uh, <laughs> because of how he plays and how he, uh, you know, calls against certain defenses and how he's taught Dylan Gabriel to uh, run that RPO. Um, but it, but that part is what it is for, for from this point in time. But I, I think you're right. The lot, the running backs just don't have patience. I mean, I, I think actually uh, Tawi being slow is probably very helpful because he's not running directly into the ass of offensive linemen in front of him. <laughs> he's waiting for a hole to open up and he's able to make, you know, get into that at least and kind of bully his way through. But that's the, that's the uh, short recap. If you want to do the full recap. Go check out the no cap recap. It's a lot of recaps on patreon.com slash through the keyhole. You'll get the unfiltered, uncut, pure, pure uh, good stuff from Matt and uh, uh, Brady uh, at that game. I, I do want to, it's not on the show notes, but I asked Brady to prepare himself for this question. I'm sorry for not putting it on here. So it's going to be a little bit of a spring. Uh, based on your Monday post that you wrote about Oklahoma being 7 and 0 and how many times they had been 7 and 0. Um, how many is that? What did you say? It was like fourteen. Um, I can't remember. They have. Let's see. I I, I should have had had this up. Um, here we go. So, hundred twenty nine years of OU football, and only twenty two teams, and that includes twenty twenty three, have started their seasons seven and zero, and and then further breakdowns. Um, two of those teams were before nineteen thirty six. Nineteen thirty six kids is when the AP poll era began. Um, so whenever you hear people say the modern era, they might begin with the AP poll in 36. A lot of people start it after World War II because mm-hmm. that's when football started to actually look like football. And that's when schools started playing other schools more frequently and not town teams or military conglomerates because the war had ended. So, um, yeah, it just really depends on that. But for these purposes, um, let's see, of those 19 teams, um, all but two of them started um, have started seven and zero after the AP poll era in 1936, and then let's see, there have been of those seven and zero teams, there have been six national champions. There's there have been uh, six undefeated teams. Um, Fifteen times they'd won the Big Eight or the Big Twelve, and they had participated in sixteen. What would ultimately become New Year's Six Bowls, so Cotton Bowl, Peach Bowl, Fiesta Bowl, all those. And OU went 10-6 and six in those bowls. So basically, starting 7-0 and 0 is a pretty good indicator that the season is going to be pretty damn good. And there are one, and I'll, I'll listen to the argument for two outliers. In the store, in the post, I put one. And the one outlier was 2021. OU started 9-0. and 0. They didn't yeah. even get to the Big 12 Championship, and they didn't uh, participate in a New Year's Six Bowl. They won the Alamo Bowl, but we all know why that season went the way that it did. The other argument that I will listen to but I won't agree with is 2003. The team went undefeated in the regular season and then did not win the Big 12 and did not win a New Year's Six Bowl or a National Championship, but they had the chances to win both of them. So it was a very unique it's a unique situation that I wouldn't I wouldn't throw 03 into the category of 2021. 
So I asked Brady to kind of look at the actual undefeated teams, the, the teams in which undefeated that OE went undefeated the whole way through, and and then kind of say, hey, when did they when did they hit the the struggle stretch, or what happened there? Like you know, in two thousand, you know, famously, it's you know the Texas A and M game where everyone's like, this is it, <laughs> you know, hey, we had a good run, but it had to come to you know a screeching halt or something like that, and then maybe to see if there's any sort of like commonality, you know. Obviously, each year is its own, but I am somebody who does believe in that college football is kind of governed by the the ebbs and flows of programs and that you'll certain programs kind of have seems to have routinely the same flaws over and over again, you know, at a certain point in time. Uh, That's just my personal opinion. You can look at Texas A&M, you can look at Texas and that kind of bears fruit. You know, it's like Texas A&M is an eight and four program. They just are. There's nothing they can do about it. It seems, you know, every once in a while they'll win 10 games, but you know, so on and so forth. Iowa State will never win 10 games. That's just it. I don't know why they just can't. <laughs> but I mean, what, was there anything that you saw that you makes you think from OU's remaining schedule for 2023 of saying, hey, these are some games or these are some teams that maybe fit certain profiles or something that make think, hey, these could be some struggle ones. Or did we already see that with UCF? Well, I mean, of those six undefeated teams, you got to remember that. What I mean, what what is this? Let's see. Three of those were during the 47 game winning streak. And so, you know, like three of those six are completely and utterly unique, even to a rather unique category of only six undefeated teams in 129 years of football from the University of Oklahoma. So, um, you know, it's it's kind of hard to kind of look at even those three seasons and find something that you could also kind of carry from either before or, you know, decades after, um, because those teams just straight up dominated everybody. Um, there were a few hiccups here and there. I think uh, 56 had the, uh, it's kind of famous. Um, oh, you went up to Boulder to play Colorado. They had an awful first half. And this was of course in the heat of the 47 game winning streak. And Bud Wilkinson came in and said, you guys aren't, you know, you, you guys have kind of shamed the the name or just kind of the, the program with your performance. Uh, you're not you've not played well enough to wear the helmet, essentially. And he asked them all to take off their shoulder pads and he gave like a you know halftime speech. And the team was so um, enamored with it that they ran back onto the field and a handful of players realized they'd run out through the out of the locker room without their pads on. So, I mean, I don't know how much that of, of that is embellished, but it's kind of a well-known OU story. So there, there are moments where things get a little tough. Um, I think the first, the first um, kind of example that I caught was in 49. So OU doesn't even win the national title in 49. Um, OU beat Santa Clara, who at the time was a pretty good program. Um, they beat them by like 13 points. That's important to me just because, the year before, OU lost to Santa Clara in the first game, and if they hadn't lost to them, um, OU would have had a, I think, a 38-game winning streak from 1948 until they lost in the Orange or the Sugar Bowl in 1950. Like They won the national title in 1950, but back then, they awarded national champions before um, the bowl games were played. Those were just kind of like for funsies for fans and for the players to go travel to Miami or New Orleans. Um, so OU would have had a uh, that would have been the second longest winning streak in school history would would have been if OU had beaten Santa Clara in 48 um, because they ended up beating them the rematch in 1949. Um, the Switzer era is kind of riddled with great teams hiccuping, you know, once uh, during a season. Uh, 74, they were on probation, didn't even play in a bowl game. 
Um, 75 was on its way to being undefeated, but then Kansas came to Norman and know you fumbled the ball like nine times and had an awful day. Um, but basically like overall, like I tried to find some common threads, Peyton, but really, I mean, that post, I don't even know if you caught it. Look, I, um, I quoted you in it, um, at the very end, cause I kind of thought of how you've always said that, you know, by week six or week seven, you are essentially what you are for the entire year. And things can of course happen. Like injuries can happen that are catastrophic or a team can just completely and utterly collapse. Um, even the 2021 team didn't really collapse. We just knew that they weren't as good as their record indicated. But I tried to look at it from that perspective and compare this season potentially with past seasons in the 2000s and the 70s and the 50s. Really, I think we can learn a lot from this team. (laughs) If they had their hiccup against UCF, they fortunately were able to navigate it and win. If they go out on the road in Lawrence and kick the shit out of Kansas. I think that will really tell you that no, 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 this team is special. Does that mean that they're going to win a national championship? I do. I don't, I don't know. I don't think so. Um, if there was ever a year for a team like OU to like win the national championship in terms of OU is not, was not a team that people picked for a national title. They're not a team that people look at from a player by player standpoint and think, yes, national champion, national champion. Yeah. But if there's ever been a year for them to do it, for a team like that to do it, it would be this year because I don't know who the hell is elite yet, you know? And, I mean, Georgia lost Bowers. Michigan is cheating, and we'll talk about that, Peyton. You can plead your case. Um, But if there's ever a year for it to happen, it could be this year. And if they go on the road and just destroy Kansas, that will go a long way in at least telling me that this team could potentially be very special because of all those undefeated teams – if they had a hiccup that they were able to win, obviously they came right back and kicked the shit out of whoever they were playing. You know, whether it was Oklahoma state, Oklahoma, A&M, uh, Missouri, you know, you know, like teams that are comparable in terms of where OU is right now to where Kansas is right now, you know, like teams like that, they weren't playing Nebraska the next week. They weren't looking ahead. It was always some random day in late October, early November, and they were able to rebound because that's what good teams do. They they sometimes have to have a get right um, get right game here and there, um, have a scare, get humbled, and they come back out the next week and kick ass. So hopefully they're able to do that on Saturday. Yeah, and, and also like to, to to do the other thing here is that Oklahoma, if they're going to lose, usually they lose early. I mean, like you said, only uh, you know X amount of teams have, have made it to seven and zero at this point in time. It's it's rarefied air that this team has gone, that has gone this far. And, you know, if, you know, the spread is what it is against Oklahoma and Kansas, seems like they should go eight and no, then, you know, it's Oklahoma state. They should go, you know, you start at, you start stacking the win potentially in your head. Uh, you know, it's all right there in front of them to kind of go from where it's at. Uh, but you mentioned some stuff. You mentioned some other games we're going to talk about. I do want to mention, we've got three other programs that are not university of Oklahoma. One of them we already teased about, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, old Lincoln Riley uh, uh, and, and the issues he finds himself in. Uh, you know, the uh, Trojans lose in "quote unquote" heartbreaking fashion to the Utah Utes uh, once again, falling to zero and three versus the uh, you know physical, uh, frustrating team that Kansas State like team uh, that Lincoln Riley always struggles with, and, um, and now finds himself skipping out on some press conferences, skipping out on practices. Uh, all of this emits the rumors and the, uh, you know, 
whisperings that he's angling for an NFL job. Matt, this is great content, <laughs> but surely, <laughs> surely he just doesn't do it again, like the, in the exact same pattern, right? I mean, this feels like this feels like the old number one man. Throw the fastball. He's he's still got his fastball, you know. Like there's no need to change it up. It's it's worked before, right? I mean, now I maybe he is sick, but it's just it's just too funny and too similar. You know, after and what that was the before the Baylor game last year, correct? Or not last, excuse me, 2021, correct? So they hadn't lost yet. Yeah, nine, nine up enough. until that up until that point. Had not lost yet. Um, I guess in that in that sense, it's different. He's lost twice before he's pull, he's pulling this move instead of doing it to an undefeated team. Um, but man, it is hilarious. I the amount of USC fans that are finally starting to turn. Like, dude, I mean, again, I can't remember who, like, tweeted this out or, or whatever at the time, however many weeks ago it's been now. But it's like, yeah, it's a little bit different pissing off, like, the Norman Oklahoma City media and then pissing off Bill Plaschy of the L.A. Times and the L.A. media, like the second largest media group in the entire country. Because, uh, like, Bill Plaschke was on, like, Dan Patrick's show, like, all these national shows just bashing Lincoln Riley. So it's the first time in USC football history that players haven't been allowed to, to speak to the media after a game. Like he is just absolutely bashing him on national shows, national TV shows that people watch religiously. And it's a little bit different. I think it's, I think it's definitely a uh, mess around and find out time for, for Lincoln Riley. The Spirit Shop has been Norman's source for wine, beer, and spirits since 1976. We feature the biggest selection and best prices in town. Thousands of different wines, beers, spirits, and more. Live in Norman? We deliver all over town, every day, usually in under an hour. Let us bring the party to you. Go to our website and order online at www.thespiritshop.org or give us a call at 405-321-321. That's 405-321-3100. In from out of town for the game? Come see us at the corner of Main and Barry, just two miles east of I-35. Take the Main Street exit and browse thousands of fine wines and hard-to-find bourbon in store. Yeah, and it just seems so strange that this would go on. Then you have like some cryptic text coming out, Matt Liner texting out, and then Dan Orlovsky, you know, replying back to him. It just... My assumption is that they're, he's moving on from Grinch to be my assumption. I don't think he's actually going to be doing this from this pattern at that point in time, even though the defense didn't lose him that Utah game at all. I mean, if you really look at it, you know, the special teams defense kept them in the game, scored points for them when they needed to. Uh, you know, it, it kept them from getting blown out by Utah at that point in time. But I, I don't know, man. It just seems so strange, seems so weird to see this. Now, I'm very happy. Um because obviously I'm petty. Uh, it's, it'd be funny to see USC fans have to deal with this. Then I'll probably send some tweets of saying, hey, guys, we tried to warn you, you know, all that kind of bullshit. And, and it's more like, hey, this is just a Lincoln Riley thing, not a you thing, even though, you know, obviously can't stand USC for other uh, Oklahoma reasons. I don't think people will be as nice as you. OU fans yeah. are not going to be as nice. After hearing how USC, like, 
big dog to OU for their own head coach and having mm-hmm. USC fans just like say that over and over, it's going to be hell if Lincoln Riley leaves after two years on, on Twitter for USC fans. That is something. Yeah, you're right. I, it, it's, I don't think I can, I don't think we're all going to do the uh, RE move and just like ignore it or whatever, but <laughs> yeah. it just seems just wild to see this kind of playing out in front of us. And now they're, you know, having to do like, you know, uh, emergency filing to get Cl- uh, a, Kif- a Kingsbury as like a, you know, a head coach in waiting type of a thing while Riley's sick, you know, whatever, whatever it is. Uh, so it's just very, very interesting to see this happening from, from a distance. And it just seems wild that we could have all just called it and said, yeah, in a couple of years, it's going to go to the NFL. I mean, Brady, have, I know we, we looked at the historical impact of this first happening when it did and seeing, you know, when has a blue blue blood lost its head coach willingly or didn't fire that person or didn't lose them to the NFL. I mean, it would happen twice. <laughs> I mean, is there any historical precedent yeah. for anything of this nature? Oh, I mean, there, there have been coaches that, have had success, you know, that I, I can't really think of anything um, specific or anyone specific, but I, I know that there have been coaches that have probably gone to a different school and have had past success either in college or in the pros. And they have still have one foot in and one foot out. And they're still waiting for like their next big opportunity. Cause some guys are just kind of mercenaries. They they'll move on here and there. They're not like mainstays. And it's because they never really found the place to become a mainstay because not everybody can be great. Um, I think it's interesting and I think it's playing out in this way. Um, it was, I, it was going to go one of two ways. I, I think, well, I guess there could have been a third way. Um, Lincoln Riley leaving to USC. And I thought this at the time, and, and I'm not unique in this. I might've been the one that said it in this way, but basically everyone's kind of said it um, essentially that him going to USC just kind of elongated his honeymoon um, the view that people had of him of being a top head coach. Um, I think we talked about it, um, you know, back in the preseason. Maybe I brought it up, but there was that video clip, Josh Pate from his show on YouTube about um, Lincoln Riley's overrated. Well, my first question would be, where do you rate him? Are you rating him over Nick Saban and Kirby Smart? And, you know, kids, semantic, if someone's first argument in, uh, to your question is semantics, they've they've lost. And Josh Pate lost because he doesn't want to be mean to anybody, I guess. Um, no one re- has ever rated Lincoln above those two. But he gets lumped. He had been lumped, you know, in the top five of head coaches across the country. If he had stayed at OU after 2021, um, you know, OU losing to OSU doesn't make the Big 12 championship. And then he coached in the Alamo Bowl. I mean, OU fans were done at that point. Like, we don't care what quarterback you're bringing to the program. We don't care about anything. Fix the fucking defense. Fix the fucking culture. This isn't Oklahoma football. OU football is not Texas Tech where, oh, we've got a quarterback that people know and he'll throw for 4,000 yards, um, but we'll win eight games. It was heading in that direction. So him going to USC kind of like wiped the slate clean a little bit. You get a little influx of excitement into a new program, especially a program like USC of Southern California. We all know what the fun that comes with that Um, kind of a injection of fun, you know, and you wash away anything to do with 2021, 2021, because that's Oklahoma that that's not Lincoln Riley. That's Oklahoma because Oklahoma has been soft forever. Right. That's just what people wanted to hear. So um, him going to USC did that. In another scenario, he just stays at OU. Um, 
and probably gets fired at some point. <laughs> he might be the first head coach. I mean, he was the first head coach with a lot of success that he had to leave OU for another blue blood program. So he's unique in that perspective, but he would have probably been the first head coach in program history to have a lot of success and then be shown the door, you know, and, and it wouldn't have been for like cheating or a scandal or a probation or something. It would have just been like the further you got away from Bob's recruits, the more clear it became that you don't give a fuck about running a team. All you care about is your little note card with all your little plays and what you're whispering into your quarterbacks here. And that's all that matters. Um, the other scenario could have just been the Dallas Cowboys just hire him and he goes to the NFL. And that would have been like, okay, understandable mutual parting of ways at that point. Um, so I think Lincoln Riley was destined to always do something very unique at Oklahoma. And I think he chose the path of re- least resistance um, in terms of him trying to shortcut his way to a national title. Uh, but I also think that it's really showing off how truly soft he is. He might very well be sick, but Lincoln lied to everybody in 2021 when he was dealing with a personal matter. We know what the fuck you were doing. So if he's literally at home right now sick, I mean, my heart goes out to him. I'm not inclined to believe it. And even if he is a little under the weather, I wonder if it's just because he's realizing all this pressure, this undue pressure he has brought to himself because he refuses to look himself in the mirror and ask himself, why is it not working? He just instead will say, it should work. Here's why I'm a genius. Everybody else around me is a fucking idiot. And that's why it's going the way that it is. And he's probably feeling that pressure right now. And it's probably a little overwhelming for such a little uh, softy, but at least he's at his dream school. Speaking of, of shortcutting to a national title, uh, I don't know how buyouts or anything like that work uh, because I'm an idiot, but if Texas A&M gets rid of Jimbo, do they try to go after Lincoln Riley? Like, I does, fucking does, hope so. Does A&M try <laughs> to go, try to go, or do they have to pay a buyout to USC? They have to pay USC. Okay, yeah. so they're they're not going to pay Jimbo. Yeah, they have to and pay Jimbo. USC buyout. Seventy thousand. Seven million. Then Riley eighty million. <laughs> I was putting it in my mind, like, hey, if Lincoln goes to that, then he could bring whatever Malachi Nelson or whatever five-star quarterback that he has with him that because that's again that's his fastball that's his number one let's take the five-star quarterback that i have with me um and then have all those dudes on defense already just already there for AM because he doesn't have to try to recruit him or try that hard to recruit anybody you know what that means that means two things one david hicks is coming home right, number yeah. two AM will never get a defensive lineman worth anything yep. if lincoln riley goes and coaches in college station and also that won't happen because you know, in the event that OU, and this could very well happen, OU could lose a few games and play in the Alamo Bowl, which is where USC could end up. So this this isn't out of the realm of possibility, unfortunately. You know, we're not there yet. Um, but, you know, in the event OU and USC played in a bowl game, I think Lincoln Riley might be the first head coach in college football history to opt out of the bowl game. Yeah. <laughs> that. That soft-ass motherfucker doesn't want any of it. And this isn't like, oh, he's going to kick his ass. It's just he didn't want he wouldn't want to deal with that at all. What part of Lincoln Riley and what he's done makes anyone think that he would seriously look at a bowl matchup that doesn't really matter with his former team, his former school, and think, oh, yeah, the competitor in him would want that. No, it's no, he fucking wouldn't. He's a puss, man. Like, get out of here. He, he, he'd opt out. 
I, I do think there's maybe something to think about, like who are the two strongest influences on Lincoln Riley's career? Uh, would be Mike Leach and Bob Stoops. And Mike Leach passing away recently, Bob Stoops, you know, you know, you know, famously his father passing away at a high school game and he was coaching, uh, you know, Bob getting out at a certain age because he wanted to be a family and everyone kind of had like, well, was there a health thing going on and all that type of stuff? It makes you kind of wonder how, from that perspective, how much those, you know, those things echo, you know, in, in Riley's thought process of saying, hey, I can't be, a, I'm not a lifer. I, I don't want to be a lifer. You know, I, I don't want to do it. I, I want to win in my way and then get out. You know, and, and if that's the thing, thought process, then the goal is make as much money as you can. <laughs> you know, yeah, he's a good, yeah, he's a good play caller, designs good offense, all that type of stuff. We, we do understand that. But if he's not a lifer like that perspective, then it doesn't make sense. And then if these are the two strongest, you know, voices he's heard throughout his entire career was those two guys. You, know, you had one who, you know, met the demise in which Bob Stoops desperately didn't want to. And that probably, you know, hit him in a way, you know, struck a nerve from that perspective, you know, from that side of it. And you could even look at it from a different side too, is how much of this did, has mirrored like a bizarro version of Bob Stoops. You know, Lincoln Rally was at OU, what, seven years total, uh, something like that, OC and stuff. I mean, if you look at that from like after seven years of Bob Stoops, you know, we have 08, obviously, but then it's like, okay, now we're getting into this weird phase where is Bob into it all the way? You know, we've got the Landry Jones era, stuff like that. Riley maybe sees that coming and says, okay, I can't do that. I need to go. You know, like Bob, you know, famously didn't take the Notre Dame job, didn't take the Florida job, and then famously did doesn't take the Bears job, doesn't take a Cowboys job, something of that nature. And it seems like maybe Riley is just saying yes to the things Bob said no to. <laughs> you know, from that perspective. And it's like, if you were to track it from that way, uh, is he just paying attention to the things people said to him? And he said, hey, I'm not going to miss out on these chances because I've only got one chance to do it. it it's just a, an interesting thought experiment that I don't know if we need to spend any time on, but it's just, if you look at it from like who he's probably listened to the most in his coaching career, I don't, I don't know if Bob and him talk anymore, <laughs> but uh, if you look at it from that perspective, you can kind of map out if he does leave for the NFL, kind of why he's doing it. And if that stuff's true, where he's like, hey, I want to be done in a decade. You know, like I want to be, I want to have made my money and spend time with, you know, kids and all that type of stuff. It, it makes sense. I mean, not everyone's cut out to be Nick Saban, like 80 something years old, still screaming about 17 year olds. He's he's just Cinderella running for midnight still. Like midnight is coming and this could be his last, very last chance to angle or leverage his way to a head coaching job in the NFL. Um, and maybe like that would be a better spot for him. I don't know, but it just seems like like the scenario I painted of where it could have potentially gone had he stayed at OU, that would have struck midnight on on him, um, mm -hmm. not necessarily for OU. Um, if he stays at USC, it will go that direction as well. Um, so going to the NFL, there's like the unknown possibility because it's just a different almost kind of a different sport in the way that it's run and the way that the players are um, compared to college. But I, I, I'm not going to be shocked if he just, if he is a head coach in the NFL and it doesn't work, like I won't be shocked. So midnight's coming for Lincoln Riley. Now moving on to another football team. We all love to hate Texas Longhorns lose a quarterback, almost lose to the Houston team. Um, 
But we're able to get out to the refs, giving uh, Houston a horrible spot on the fourth down call. Texas is able to escape 34 or 31-24 uh, to kind of get out of there while Houston was driving towards the end zone. But they do lose their starting quarterback. And now uh, Malik Murphy seems like he'll be taking the pitch there. The thing, the thing we always wanted to have happen, not, not that I wanted Quinn to get hurt, but I thought maybe he wouldn't perform well enough to where there would be an issue. And if really you look at his performance, he hasn't really done anything to make you think first round NFL quarterback, which people were saying in preseason. But now uh, Texas has to figure out how to how to make it back to the Big 12 championship without their starting quarterback. Matt, I mean, how excited are you to watch just watch this, the drama unfold like I mean, how how quick are, are, are the Arch Manning calls going to happen? Is it going to be one? Is going to be an interception or just maybe just one incompletion? I mean, how quickly are they like panning the camera uh, during the game over the Arch Manning and like the broadcasters mentioning how he was the highest rated recruit in the history of all time? Right. Yes. The the best recruit of all time. man. Uh, no, I, I didn't watch. I was at a wedding this Saturday, um, so I didn't get to watch that game unfold. Instead, I was just watching on GameCast on my phone. <laughs> so I didn't get to watch the game. But uh, our guy Ryan Chapman did say that they, they did have some some cuts to Arch Manning on the sideline, for sure. Uh, so I think it will be uh, early and often, the calls for Arch Manning. But uh, I will say, I think, I do still think Texas is a good team, like 1,000%. I'm not – the OU game didn't change my opinion of how good I think Texas is. It changed my opinion on how good I thought OU was. And, you know, they still have a lot of skill talent around. Like Jonathan Brooks is one of the best running backs in the Big 12. got Xavier Worthy, Adonai Mitchell out there on the outside, and Jatavian Sanders, uh, who is, like, hopefully healthy for them uh, for their sake. But – so he's got some – really good talent around him that I feel like should be able to kind of soften that blow or like ease him into this. If it is Malik Murphy. Um, But I did think that it was funny that obviously bring in Malik Murphy in the Houston game. And then Sark already has to answer a question of, Hey, who's the starting quarterback going to be? It's like, is it going to be arch or are we going to see Malik Murphy? He's like, no, but he gave the company answer. He he towed the company line. He was like, uh, well, if it started today, we'd we'd start Malik Murphy. But uh, you know, him and Archel have good competition. So he was felt like he was stroking the egos of the donors a little bit with that answer. But uh just truth be told, if he's he's the best recruit of all time, if he was ready, he would have gone in whenever Quinn Ewers went out. Plain and simple. He, he was sweating and look about looking behind his back for like a like a man in black from like, hired by the Mannings. He's like, is there a red dot on me right now? Like, is, there, is there a laser pointer pointed why is at everybody me right staring? Now? Why is everybody staring at my forehead? <laughs> um, it's very yeah. It was uh, I was surprised. Now, what can you really discern from a spring game? But if we all recall, I mean, Arch Manning was flat terrible in the spring game. But in his defense, he was you know seventeen, eighteen years old. You know, true freshman. What can you really expect? But again, this is a recruit that was better than Adrian Peterson coming out of high school. Uh, but Quinn Ewers was just kind of like, eh, like himself in the spring game. But Malik Murphy kind of presented this. Oh, snap. I'm, no, 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 no. They're not supposed to have a quarterback that could potentially be scary. That's not good. I don't want Texas to have something like that. That's that's scary. Um, but. I mean, this is Texas we're talking about. 
They're playing BYU. Thank God for Texas. They're playing them in Austin. Uh, but BYU is a team that can exploit, at least from a fundamental standpoint. Oh, this is a court. This is a quarterback off the bench, uh, young, inexperienced, and might just rely on his athleticism. Okay, yes, that's what I want. That's what a team like BYU would probably want to go up against is just trying to make a young, inexperienced player make mistakes. So, I mean, Texas is going to be in kind of a little bit of an interesting spot going into BYU. But, like, in terms of the Houston game, um, I don't know if y'all saw, like, I think I mentioned this on the no-cap recap, but I don't know if you saw that video clip, Peyton, of um, Brent Venables after the UCF win where he was like, you know, every, there are a lot of people out there that are just waiting to see Oklahoma collapse. And then he kind of smiled and was like, there are a lot of people that are just ready to celebrate. <laughs> And then, of course, OU beats UCF. Um, I could not think of someone better than just some random Texas fan watching the UCF game. Just, yeah, I knew it. And just cr- like holding back tears. Like, I knew it. We're not owned. I promise you, they played the best game that they've ever played. And we played like dog shit. And look, they're barely beating some team from Florida. Uh, oh, God, we're we're barely beating Houston. Oh, my God, it's real. We have to keep playing football. It's nothing. Nothing is guaranteed. Oh God. So, yeah, and they they got it, played. It was, just, it was funny. Yeah, they, they got played by second and a half Sark in that game, which was you know they get up twenty one to zero and then give it all away immediately because Sark forgets how to call an offense in the second halves of some games. Uh, you know, last year that's how they lost all their football games. Is Sark just didn't know, I mean, they just wouldn't score a point in the second half or something very strange like that. Um, that that's something that we'll have to keep uh, a track of to see if Texas is able to even get there. I mean, now we have, now all of a sudden it's casting a lot of doubt. Can Texas even make it to the uh, big 12 championship? I mean, they've got Kansas state coming up. I mean, and they, I don't know. It, it seems very strange for them. It really you know sucks for, I, I, if I was a fan of that program, I would be pissed. <laughs> you know, you lose to your rival and then your quarterback goes down and now there's a chance you can look at it and say, crap, this season we told everyone we were going to be the team. We have a chance. Our roster is ready and it's all going to go down. You know, you know, we're going to piss it down our, you know, down our legs to a certain degree because we didn't have a you know viable backup. We didn't have plans for that nature or this trashy schedule that we had, you know, fell apart uh, at, just like on everybody else. That's something that if you're a Texas fan, it sucks for you. If you're an Oklahoma fan, enjoy, uh, watch the games. Know that Texas will probably out talent everyone else on their roster, on their schedule. But there's a chance. All of a sudden, the the door is opening for Oklahoma to be playing Kansas State, something like that, in I'll the say, Big Twelve Championship. I'll say that uh, they got that purple team in Manhattan coming up a couple couple weeks from now too. So, um, luckily, they have them at home. But mm-hmm. Kansas State's playing playing a little bit better. I mean, Peyton, yeah, that, yeah. Uh, I was going to ask, I mean, we, we talked about how, I mean, what, OU, what it means for OU to go seven and oh, you, we mentioned you invoked the name of A&M and how they're just perpetually eight and four. What's Steve mm-hmm. Sarkeesian? Is he a nine win coach? He's a nine win coach. I mean, if history uh, serves me right, Steve Sarkeesian has never won 10, uh, 10 games as a head coach. He's won nine a few times, but never gotten to 10 wins. And it would just be very funny if he just couldn't do it again. Uh, now he so, had to lose two games. You have to find two games in there for him to lose. And, you know, you, let's say Kansas State's one of them. And then, 
I don't know, another, I don't know, tech maybe. I don't know. Oh, I can't say tech. Uh, sorry, Davis. I uh, can't <laughs> believe in them to do anything. Kansas State and some other team. Uh, that, it, that's just the hard part. Who I else mean, can they lose to? I mean, hell, BYU is going to be tough, like I mentioned. I mean, BYU is playing. This is a bad conference. Um, I think mm-hmm. there are a handful of average teams um, and teams that can, on any given Saturday, if you also play like shit, can beat you um, because this is a Power 5 conference. But I think overall, it's not very good. But... I mean, Kansas State, BYU, they've got Iowa State and Ames, and Iowa State's playing like the third best team, at least from a record standpoint in the conference. So, I mean, it's it's not going to be guaranteed for Texas, but I agree. Like, they're going to probably out-talent everybody and win. Um, but it's just interesting how you can't really run from what you are. Um, OU seems to be, like, from a historical standpoint, just a clearly a better program than Texas. And, you know, that played out in the Cotton Bowl. And Steve Sarkeesian is, essentially, I guess, essentially an eight, nine win coach. There is a path for that to happen after, what, three weeks of hearing or four weeks of hearing that Texas is a national champion uh, team right now to, well, they're going to win out and see Oklahoma again and then beat them anyway. So, you know, we'll see. And then the last one we're going to talk about is Michigan and the cheating scandal, obviously. I mean, they beat Michigan State from a very familiar score for OU fans. It's been 49-0. You know, a flashback PTSD on that point of it. But they just totally uh, – now it seems it's all coming undone. I mean, it's the what I would consider my opinion the favorite to win the 2023 national championship. Now it's cheating their asses off to get there. Uh, If you're not paying attention to it – they had a former military um, person on staff who was then orchestrating a vast uh, spy network, uh, paying for people to go to football <laughs> games of uh, opponents or potential uh, playoff opponents, filming their games, and then uh, stealing their uh, signs from that perspective. And then there has been like pictures of them on the sidelines with guys holding a giant play cards of silhouettes showing the actual play, like the actual signals and what they mean. Uh, I, for one, do not care in any way, shape or form. Uh, but it's just very, very funny to me. Um, but I do think the most interesting thing about it is who, who does seem to care. Big 10 coaches seem to care, obviously, uh, and they're wanting their pound of flesh from that. Uh, Deion Sanders was asked about it because you ask Deion Sanders everything because, you know, he drives media ratings, Deion Sanders, Deion Sanders, Taylor Swift, um, (laughs) Uh, and he basically said, hey, I can tell you what we're going to do. You still have to stop it, uh, which is true. Uh, I remember uh, we're going to make a Spurs comment. Uh, Kobe Bryant said the Spurs would literally would know your plays before you played them because they studied you so hard. Or you just knew they were going to give it to Timmy on the block and you had to Nerds. stop it and you just couldn't. <laughs> uh, and then Kirby Smart was asked about it, asked about the playoff game they had against Michigan. And he said... For everything I remember about that game, I don't think it would have mattered if they had their play calls uh, or something along that line. So um, it doesn't really matter at the end of the day, in my opinion. I think they will get punished or should be punished uh, just due to the widespreadness of it and the idiocy of it at that point in time. Uh, You know, people, people, some people are throwing around the Baylor thing of uh, Levy being on the Baylor sideline and Baylor actually didn't get anything official. They didn't have to pay a fine or uh, forfeit games or scholarships or anything of that nature. But that was a one-time thing. Um, and he was invited there. 
by a staff member. Uh, and I, now his is a little bit different because he's on the sideline, which is a little bit different than being in the stands in of itself. But uh, Brady, does this rise to your level of intrigue at all? Or is it just a totally self-inflicted idiotic error at this point in time for the University of Michigan? Well, I think it's interesting that the Big Ten really cares and it really plays into the whole stereotype that the Big Ten just does not care about offense. They, they, they think any type of innovation is bad and it's soft and because, you know, this happens everywhere. Um, and I, I don't know the conference by conference legislation. Um, I would imagine that if you have something this uh, official, this wide scope, you know, of like having someone buy tickets and like there's an entire system backed by this that's coming from you know above. Like I get why that you'd want to legislate against that, but this ain't happen. This isn't happening in the Big Twelve because the Big Twelve knows that the the only way that they can compete is by having fun, funky offenses, and everyone's kind of in on the joke. Like, yeah, we all steal signs, but this is how we can compete. If we want to beat Oklahoma or Texas, like we have to have a we have to know what's going on. And we know that they're going to know what's going on with us as a result, but you know what? They've got better players than us. It doesn't matter. You know? So it's interesting that this would come from a team in the big 10 and wouldn't it be so big 10 of them to uh, destroy themselves by, um, <laughs> you know, clearly the be- one of the best teams in the country. And they're like, no, 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 no. Let's uh, let's trip them up um, yeah. for so- something that everybody does. And I feel like exactly something everyone does. And it's, like, how dumb is it to also just sit there and use the same signals, game in, game yeah. out, and be like, oh, no one's going to figure this out. No one is going – that's super naive and just not true at all. Like, Brent was even asked about it today at his media availability, and he was just like, yeah, no, that's why we try to change him on a week-to-week basis and, you know, all this stuff, keep it moving so that doesn't happen. You know, when you go to sign stealing, you – automatically think of the most most famous one. I know it's a different sport, but the Houston Astros uh, in baseball. And the reason that one was so egregious is because uh, they had the signs, They, but they also sent, they had players wear a buzzer and would buzz like, hey, this is the pitch that's coming. This is the pitch that's coming. Like, it's like, it, it's one thing to steal them, like, or to like use technology and be like, oh no, this is, Actually going to, rather than like, dude, there's how many thousands of people that watch Michigan week in, week out? Like they could, one of us could easily go to a Michigan game, just film the sidelines and be like, okay, well, that's the sign they used for this play, sign they used for that play. No, you have to change it up like 1,000%. And and two, the, the Astros, if you remember correctly, they were they were wearing it, right? They, they, they were wearing it. They're like, yep, yeah, nope, we did it, all that good stuff. But you got to be kidding yourself if you think we're the only ones doing something like this. And like, I think that's the, the main thing there. Everyone's doing it. Just don't get your signs stolen. Change them up. It's it's really simple. Be like week to week, hey, this is now going to be this sign. This is now going to be this sign. And study it every single day until the game. Do you guys think they stole? Do they play Iowa? If so, have they stolen their signs? <laughs> They're like, no, we're good what, with Iowa. What, what I, I one think of they... I think it said they gone. They went to every uh, Big Ten team except for one. So I don't know what one that is, but <laughs> hopefully that's Iowa. <laughs> it's the Northwestern. Yeah. 
No, like what one of four plays are they going to run on here in this situation? I would, oh, we need to know, <laughs> uh, even though we've got vastly better athletes than they do. Um, no, I, I guess for the kids at home, guys, well, one of you explain the intricate, intricate uh, differences between what Michigan is alleged to have done. And I guess like there's pretty strong evidence to suggest that they did this. Um, and something like where Brent Venables is often accused, you know, from Texas blogger fanboys like Ian Boyd of uh, stealing signs. Like, what's the difference between what Michigan is doing and then what Brent is kind of known for doing in game? What? Why is one cheating and one isn't? Uh, to be blatantly honest with you, the reason why one is cheating and one isn't is because it costs a lot of money to do what Michigan did. And um, they outlawed stuff that cost money uh, because in the order of fairness, certain schools wouldn't be able to pay to have scouts go out and scout out all this stuff. And so in order to uh, do some sort of artificial fairness, they uh, made that an outlaw so that everyone doesn't have to try to outspend themselves. The thing about college football and the thing you have to think about college football, because I just look at like the, uh, the unofficial visits, they made a rule about no photography, you know, cause it's like people got tired of spending that much money and how much time it took to set all that stuff up on the unofficials. So the member institutions got together and said, we don't want to do this anymore. Here's how you need to think about college football. It is literally the cold war. And they, each team is trying to spin the other team into oblivion. <laughs> like either you can beat them once on the field or you can make them go broke <laughs> and they can't win any game. You know, and that's kind of how um, college football is done via warfare. Uh, but yeah, they, I, the only illegal thing is that Brent, Brent quote unquote does it in the flow of the game, which honestly isn't true. <laughs> he already knows what the calls are before he gets there because they <laughs> scout them and people don't change them. People don't change them year to year, staff to staff. Offense to offense, they don't change them. I mean, they're, well, they're pretty much everyone uses the same type of signals. Um, now, what can happen is that you are allowed to videotape. So this is something I realized I learned today. In 2016, the NCAA passed a rule that said coaches can film stuff during the games they're playing and review that film only if they're in the coach's box. So that's why some offensive coordinators or defensive coordinators um, a coach from the box because then they're able to get video of the game they're actually actively playing and that can maybe allow levy to know what a safety is doing anytime they do so on and so forth you know stuff like that uh so that's why he coaches up there potentially it's one of probably a nice little thing they can do um but i don't know i mean it, if it's if it's the same you're scouting everyone's like getting upset like oh they'll know the plays i'm like well they review tape like they have i can go on youtube and i can see their substitution patterns and stuff like it it just seems really stupid. I mean, that's all. It's really hard for me to yeah. get like sanctimonious about it. Other than Jim Harbaugh himself constantly calls everyone else cheaters. <laughs> and now he's out being caught doing this. So that's the only thing that's ironic and funny. But raising to a level of does this break the ethics and morality of college football? That just missed me of that. I mean, or maybe I just don't understand it. Yeah, I mean, it's Jim Harbaugh. Harbaugh's a dork. Um does I mean, does this kind of affect anything for Michigan in the moment? Um, I mean, it's obviously going to be quite a distraction. Just a distraction. Uh, yeah. But now the Big Ten, if the Big Ten were to disqualify them from their championship game or something like that, I mean, that the, the issue I think Michigan is facing 
is not from the NCAA because I don't think I don't know how much they could do, or if they do, will it even matter? Like you know, Michigan will play. Will if they beat Penn State and Ohio State, they'll go to the playoffs. And if they win a playoff game, they'll go to the championship. If they win a championship, they'll win the championship. Then in five years, they'll get quote unquote taken away. But all the fans will have that memory of winning the championship, so it doesn't really matter. You know, they can still say all the boosters and stuff. Hey, we did it. Uh, you know, I'm a big time different Broncos fan. They cheated like mother in the 97 and 98 seasons. They're like way over the cap. <laughs> you know, it just, it happens. We're we'll probably have to blink that out. Potentially that's one of the hard ones. Uh, so I apologize, Matt. Um, but that's just how it is. I mean, this is sport. Every team is doing every single thing they can to get every single advantage. And it's just yeah. either you're doing it or you're not. I mean, I don't know. It, it's, but I, the Michigan's issue is that, not the NCAA, is that the other Big Ten teams are pissed about it because not that it's happening, I mean, you know, you know, Rutgers dude's getting mad because he's losing by 60. <laughs> he's like, okay, I get it. You're better than us, but man, you're still doing the stuff like way late in the fourth quarter. Yeah. Knock it off. Yeah. And he's losing by 60 to Michigan. That's even worse. No, like I, I've, har- I've harped on this over and over again ever since I've podcasted about OU football. Conference opponents know what you're going to do. Like nothing that you do surprises them outside of the scripted drives, the first two drives of the first half, and then maybe the first drive of the second half. Those are like where the individual plays like, oh, I didn't know this wrinkle was coming or, oh, they haven't put this on film. But then teams quickly adjust because there's only so many things that you can do as a football team. And especially as you get deeper into your conference schedule, if you're the better team, I mean, what is what what is Texas Tech capable of? They're capable of like if there are a hundred possible f- football plays, they're maybe be, they're maybe capable of running forty of them. So they might not do like ten of them, you know, until you play them, and they might run those ten plays. But they're ten plays that exist that you have practiced against, either against other teams or just in practice. So I, I mean, teams know who you are, but I mean, you're right, Peyton. It's just it just comes from sour grapes, um, probably, and then. It, there is something to be said about, well, this feels a little bit more gross because there is a paper trail. And instead of it being good old fashioned, like scouting or being aware in the moment. Yeah. That, I mean, that's it. It's just that you're, you're walking into games with, uh, uh, with prior knowledge. And that that's, that's considered the part that's, that's rough. Cause it's like, Oh, it's okay to sign still as long as you're getting them figured out in the flow of the game. Uh, but th- that's obviously not what Michigan is being accused of. They're being accused of, uh, you know, completely uh, doing it beforehand. And that, that's the issue they're going to have to run into uh, from that point in time. Uh, now, let's look at uh, OU moving forward. OU still has a game to play. We talked about these hypotheticals and everything. Uh, they have to play the Kansas Jayhawks uh, this weekend. They take on a team that is... My SP my ESPN plus like isn't working, so I can't figure out what their SP plus ranking is. Uh, they're very similar to UCF. They're going to run a lot of motion. It's a good, good, good offensive football team. Uh, top three, I believe, in offense in the Big 12. And they have a bad defense. So theoretically, it should be the same as a UCF game. So if there's something we want to take positive out of the UCF game is say, hey, all the headaches and stuff that they are going to face against Kansas, they've already seen to a certain degree. There's going to be motion. They're, they know they're going to have to be dedicated. They're going to have to be disciplined with their eyes and stuff because, uh, you know, Kansas is going to run off power, <laughs> off tackle, you know, at them. It's going to be a lot of option stuff. And then obviously uh, it seems at this point in time 
that Bean will be starting and there'll be some, um, uh, you know, potential downgrade, obviously, from that main starting quarterback to him from that perspective. Um, do I think OU will beat them like Texas did, you know, 40 to 10 or something of that nature? I, I'm not entirely for sure. Um, I'll go ahead and say my score. I've gotten 38-17, so I think OU is able to, to win uh, and do so somewhat convincingly because the uh, I think they got their, uh, their quote-unquote scare out of their system at the UCF game. But I don't know. It, it should be interesting at that perspective. Brady, what do you think about the Kansas game, these Jayhawks? Yeah, it, I, I'm glad you brought up how similar in terms of their production they are to UCF because um, I wouldn't even really look at it from the standpoint of you've you've essentially seen this team. You're just going to see them in a different environment with slightly different skill talent balanced across different positions than it was with UCF. I would look at it as you all have a chance to show that last week was complete and utter bullshit. Um, and here's a, just kind of a weird observation prediction. Jaron Kanick is a captain for this game. Jaron Kanick is from the state of Kansas. And Jaron Kanick is the player guilty of one of those five, you know, handful of mistake, bad plays that we talked about defensively um, against UCF. If he doesn't lose his mind for two seconds and stand over the UCF player and taunt him right in front of the ref, um, OU more than likely just not a true goal line stand. UCF would have just kicked a field goal probably after losing yards, but it would have been an absolute win considering what the game was like going on at that time. Um, Jaron Kanick has an absolute chance to just kind of prove that, yeah, I'm not about that. Like, I'm not I'm not here to make boneheaded mistakes like that. Um, bus will happen. Missed tackles will happen because this is football. But something like that has no place on a defense that has um, shown to be very, very good and could potentially be special. So Jaron Kanick going back to his home state as a captain, um, if he can have one of his better games of the season, I think that that could probably go a long way in showing and predicting that the team itself will have a very good day. Um, because again, like I'm kind of erring on the side of the, my Monday post. I'm, I'm, I'm calling my shot. Like this team is seven and zero, and of the handful of teams that have done that, know you history, 99% of them have been special um, or have had at least the chance to be special. Like 87 went undefeated until they played Miami in the national title and they lost. That happens. Um, but if this is the case, if this team is potentially special, then they go on the road in Lawrence and just beat the ever loving fuck out of Kansas. So I'm going to err on, on that side and say, oh, he's probably going to win 48 to 16. Some, a dominant victory on the road and uh, Jaron Kanick having a really good day reversing what we saw last week against UCF. What about you, Matt? What do you think? What do you think about this game and your prediction? Man, um, it's hard to tell because Jason Bean has played very well against the, against the Oklahoma Sooners uh, is two past two seasons. But man, I, I I'm kind of with Brady in that I, I think this is a bounce back game and hopefully that was kind of a you know slap in the face with reality game the UCF game was like oh okay like okay maybe we're not as good as 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 we thought we were we still got to keep stacking um, so I'm gonna go. I know it's not going to sound like it, but I'm going to go 35-24. Kansas scores late to make it look closer than it actually was. So OU doesn't have a running game still, in your in your opinion, Matt? <laughs> it's seven game. It's seven games in, man. I don't think 
I don't think it's happening. Peyton, did your ESPN Plus thing work now? Does it work now? No, if you, if you check out, you know, it's, it's kind of like the, the meme of ESPN Plus at this point in time. You sign in, and then it kicks you back, and it tells you to sign in, then you kicks you oh, back. Great. You, it tells you to sign in, and so it's just, it's so just doing that for right well, now. Yeah, it's very, I mean, very annoying. Matt, what, did you, what was your score, Matt, prediction? Sorry. Uh, 35-24. 35-24. Kansas, Kansas scores late. UCF, UCF had one of the nation's worst rush defenses, and obviously OU wasn't really able to exploit yeah. it until they absolutely needed to, so – in terms of an overall game production, they didn't exploit it, but in the winning time moment, they did. Um, Kansas, I would imagine, is not much better, right? Their rush defense isn't good, or at least because I feel like the last few games I've paid attention to them, they just get gashed in the running game. So maybe it was just kind of a bad two-week or three-week stretch. No, defensively, they're not very good. They haven't been performing well. I believe they're in the single digits. Uh, I mean, sorry, the double digits of uh, college football defense, which is good because they were in the hundreds uh, last year, I believe in the 90s this year, uh, which is helpful for them. But it, it's not um, not According to ESPN. Good. They're giving up 161 yards on the ground again, which is a right around OU's average. So, I mean, if o, if OU really wants to assert itself for the rest of the year, uh, then what we saw to Gavin Sawchuk will continue. And it should. And oh, you should basically try to open the game up by like, hey, Gavin, we try to run like run it the offense through you to start the game against UCF, and it didn't work. We're going to do it again because we we will force this uh, to work into reality. Um, but I mean, I don't I don't know. It's OU is in a really good spot, I think, because now that I think about it, I would have been very nervous for this game had OU just destroyed UCF like they probably should have. Because, you know, you come off the emotional win, the bye week, you're here in national title, playoff talk, all that stuff. You destroy a kind of a lower rung Big 12 team at home. And then you go on the road for uh, two weeks, uh, one in, against Kansas and Lawrence, where OU hasn't lost since, what, 1994, 93 or something. Um, maybe even further than that. And you've got Bedlam looming the next week. This could have been a spot where OU could have just completely overlooked Kansas and looked ahead um, had they had just destroyed UCF. So it's kind of good in retrospect that they were kind of brought back down to earth and like, no, 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 no. go one and no each week and uh, don't make it scary like you did. Yeah, actually, I was able to pull up the uh, the wrong stats. So I was like really terrified for a second, but uh <laughs> Can't I've got I'm able to log in, but I can't quite get them to Kansas. Uh, Kansas is unbeatable, guys. I was, I was like, oh my god, like UCF Peyton, like Peyton's looking at 2019 LSU's roster, like holy shit. How, I was like, when did they get Joe to, Burrow? We need to freak out here. Randy Moss's nephew. <laughs> That's funny. It's okay. Justin right. Broyles will defend him. Guys, we're in. We're in. We're gonna look at the Kent live. We figured it out. Uh, oh, you're in. Kansas is yep. Kansas sitting at 36th overall, five and two, um, with the 13th overrated, 13th overall. Sorry, offense in the 88th overall uh, defense. There is some uh, you know money to be made uh, from that perspective. Uh, they really pulled off their 36. Where is UCF? 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 Where are you? UCF is 33rd with the 21st overall offense and the 57th overall defense. So UCF of the, uh, you know, uh, 57th overall defense was able to kind of frustrate Oklahoma. Kansas is sitting at 88th. 
Uh, but Kansas has a better offense at 13th as opposed to uh, UCF's 21st, but still very much the same idea of like an old, just, you know, a typical Big 12 team. They have offensive firepower. They do not have much in the way of defense on the grand scheme of things, uh, but just Kansas being even more of a reflection of that. I mean, Kansas looks like the, uh, you know, the, the bad Oklahoma teams put up points, but give up a lot of points as well. Uh, and obviously starting the backup quarterback, things of that nature is something we should move there. Uh, Oklahoma is sitting currently at ninth with the fifth overall offense and the 23rd overall um defense so obviously much uh more balanced and just uh just looking like a good football team so i mean ou as a good football team should handle kansas as a bad no i'll say a bad football team but as an outgunned football team in my opinion are we completely throwing out the possibility for gamesmanship on the part of kansas with uh the quarterback is that just kind of completely like oh yeah daniels isn't playing because i will say if daniels does play i expect ou to still destroy kansas like, and they absolutely and if you remember, they did that last year too. Uh, Lee pulled it yes. on Twitter, showing pictures of the you know of 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 that quarterback uh, Daniel saying like, "Hey, he may be back, he may be playing." But he didn't end up playing that game. Uh, to me, the big question is just Oklahoma break out the alternates versus Kansas. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, to me, that's what I want to see uh, from my perspective. Um, I'm I'm gonna bring on uh, somebody from covers Kansas football for the uh, midweek pod uh, for the Friday podcast. So if you guys want to be on our Patreon at Patreon.com/slash through the keyhole, uh, and I'm gonna ask some questions about that quarterback to see if the, the rumors are true of him, you know, saving his health for next year's uh, transfer destination or something like that. If if that rumor is totally true and in, 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 uh, you know of of meaning at that point in time. Um, but I think we've covered all of our topics uh, and we had a, a good game, a good game here, guys. Uh, we huddled <laughs> up. We, we, you know, we fought through the distraction, you know, last year we would have lost this week. You know, Allen goes oh. down. We wouldn't be able to handle it. Oh shit. Look, Oh guys, there's a Michigan scout in my room. Oh, fuck. No, <laughs> no, no. Grab him. Keep, keep the hand. Uh, luckily, OU has one hand signal all the times horns down, uh, for myself, for Allen, uh, for, for Brady, for Vanessa House, for Scratching and Trottails, for The Spirits Shop, for all the patrons who keep us and keep the lights on and help us get these sun blocking uh, blackout curtains so Michigan can't spy into our recording rooms. Thank you so, so much. Keep supporting us and keep having fun listening to the podcast. Uh, without further ado, we'll do as we always do. Boomer! Sir.